0: You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back. And better than last week, we hope, the divisional round is over. It was a great weekend for football, obviously, and a lot to get to this week. Obviously, we've got the uh, championship games. We've got coaches coming and going. We've got players coming and going. But first off, let me bring in my partner here, Alex Kavtov. Alex, how you doing? Three and one last week in the picks. you got to be feeling good.
1: I bounced back, Hello. I was embarrassed. After the the wild card round, uh, there were a lot of games to get to, and I was just so far behind, so I had to bounce back. Again, uh, I've been in my lab, in my basement, trying to come up, trying to listen to smart people speculate who's going to win the games this week and doing a lot of research, not sleeping, not eating. Just all my focus is on these two games coming up, and we've got the AFC game. It's your Kansas City Chiefs versus the Buffalo Bills, and Bovada Sportsbook has the Chiefs minus three this week. But I guess the biggest question, Lou, is, is Patrick Mahomes going to play? That's the million-dollar question. What does your gut tell you?
0: Yes, my gut tells me he is going to play. Early reports are, I mean, he still hasn't, I guess, tested positive, if you would, for a concussion. He hasn't shown any concussion uh, symptoms there's been talk during the week and even uh, on Sunday when it happened Jay Glazer talked about it he's the MMA guy he's the you know a trainer he's the inside guy in the NFL but anyway i mean he was talking about almost like you know in wrestling for those wrestling aficionados out there like almost like a sleeper hold where mac wilson kind of had him around the neck you get a little pressure on a particular nerve in that area and it, you can actually go to sleep for a second and that's when you saw his knees buckle and everything else that aside whether that's the case so far so good he is kind of going through the protocols he hasn't shown any symptoms Uh, as we record today on wednesday he's going to be doing individual drills at practice just some light activity just and see how he does if he still doesn't show any symptoms then he can practice Everything so far points to him playing. And obviously, if it were left to him, he may have come back in that game last week. Or if it was five or ten years ago, he probably would have gone back in the game. You know, it's all about player safety, and I understand that, and I'm glad he didn't go back in, quite frankly, regardless of the outcome. But but anyway, yeah, I, I really feel that, like he's going to play. So that number may change. I mean, if obviously, if he doesn't start, we'll probably see that number uh, reflective, where a lot of money will come in on the Bills. But if he does play, there's a good chance it, it, it may trend up. I, I don't know. But three seems to be a pretty logical number. These teams are, are pretty pretty even as far as I'm concerned.
1: This is where I stand, Lou. I feel like the Browns blew that game. In the first half, the Chiefs had complete control. They were up 19-3. to But when Patrick Mahomes went down in the third quarter, the tide changed. And you could feel it in the stadium. The the Browns got some life. Even though Baker threw that interception in the beginning of the third quarter that just seemed preposterous. The Browns just tightened up somewhere. They had a chance to beat the Chiefs, and they fell short. I give Andy Reid and the Chiefs all respect in the world in the end because it's really gutsy. Usually you see NFL head coaches just completely go in the tank they freeze up in those situations you know where i'm going on this so you you have a backup quarterback he picks up 13 yards on that third down play you have a fourth and short fourth and one usually teams punt you know in that situation and we've seen many head coaches make head scratching calls even in the playoffs during these playoffs andy Reid, i respect them so much all right, He has a backup quarterback. He trusts him. He has the right play. Tyreek Hill just goes out there on that short route that he ran. Henny hit him for five yards, and they sealed the game. Because, you know, the Chiefs have a great offense, and Andy knew that he had to convert because he had he didn't have as much faith in his defense to make that stop in the end. So I give the Chiefs a lot of credit. They won. They weren't gutless. They went for it. I love Reed for that. But how can you allow Chad Henney to pick up 13 yards on that third down play? This isn't Lamar Jackson out there that you've seen twice during this, you know, during every season. This is Chad freaking Henney. Nobody expects him to run, but he picks up 13 yards. All you had to do was stop him. Maybe maybe if it's fourth and four, fourth and five, there's no way the Chiefs go for that fourth down. I felt like the Browns really blew a huge opportunity there because the Chiefs' offense just stalled there. The
0: Browns, like most of America, probably had no inclination that Henny had that play in him. According to Next Gen Stats or whatever, he reached seventeen and a half miles an hour. That's probably the fastest he's ever run in his life. Yeah, I mean you don't expect the guy, thirty-five years old. You know, this is his first playoff game in his life. I guess you go back to Week uh, Seventeen when Reed rested the starters and Henny got a chance to play. And now, obviously, he didn't know the way this was going to play out. But in retrospect, that was probably a great thing because he got some snaps under his belt. He played with the, you know, not all the starters, but you know, he had an opportunity to go through a game and some game situations. Didn't play that great. Obviously, they lost to the Chargers, but I think just getting his feet wet helped him. As far as the Browns are concerned, I don't know. They were Kelsey was was killing them in their zone defense maybe they're thinking hey we play man to man there's no way he's going to scramble out of there this is great they'll punt we get the ball no no worries but the the guy made made a play and I'm sure like I said as much as America was shocked to see it happen I would imagine the Browns were thinking the same thing like no way he's going to do that I see what you're saying it was just uh just an incredible play by Henny You know, I don't know if it's an analytics thing in that case, because I think the numbers said at that point, it really was kind of a 50-50, whether they punt, because now the Browns would have to go length of the field with no timeouts and score a touchdown. I mean, they needed, they had to score a touchdown, that the odds were about the same. But Reed, you know, they have a play. This is things that they go over time and again during the course of the week. On Fridays, and they both the quarterbacks get together. They say, okay, fourth and one to win the game. What are the plays that you like? And they broke it down perfectly. They had uh, Hill on the inside of that three by one. So there's no way somebody's gonna be able to stay with them. What it came down to was one kind of the body language and kind of making it look like they were just gonna try to draw him off sides. But with Henny standing in the shotgun, something's up here. I think I think they are going to snap this ball. But to have the confidence to have him throw it, I mean, obviously Hill was wide open. It's just a matter of you know pitch and catch, and uh, that was it. You know, does somebody like Frank Wright go for it at that point? That's kind of been his history. Peterson, you know, all these guys kind of cut from the same cloth. Uh, but we saw it earlier in the playoffs when Tomlin doesn't go for it. You know, on fourth down in uh, Browns territory, when
1: Vrabel, Vrabel.
0: when they were against Baltimore, they have it in Baltimore territory, chance to go for it on fourth down. I wasn't fourth in inches or whatever, but still, they punt the ball. God bless Andy Reid and having the guts to make the call, the guys to to execute it, and uh, yeah, we move on. Let's let's go to the next round.
1: This is why the Chiefs are moving on to the AFC Conference Championship game. They weren't being gutless. They had a coaching staff that had a plan, and they believed in in their backup quarterback. And you know why the Browns lost? Because Rashard Higgins fumbled the ball out of the end zone instead of scoring the touchdown. That could have changed the complexion. I saw Nick Chubb, who is Mr. Consistent. He dropped a couple of passes. Oh, my gosh,
0: like three.
1: Yeah, that was that was really uncharacteristic. Obviously, I already mentioned Mayfield throwing that pick to to start the third quarter, but mistakes, mistakes like this cannot happen when you're an underdog, a big underdog in a playoff game to the Super Bowl champions. So obviously, the Browns. It wasn't only about that last drive, about that last play. It, they had some chances to get back into it, and they just they laid an egg when the play had to be made. They let it slip away. I mean, you can't fumble the ball out of the end zone. That's preposterous. Let's talk about the Buffalo Bills because you and I picked the Baltimore Ravens to come up with this upset, and we didn't see it as an upset. We felt like the Ravens were the better team. We believed it. Yet the Buffalo Bills, in an ugly game, just demolished the Baltimore Ravens. And it looked like the Ravens' plan was simple. We're going to run the football because we can't run the football on the Buffalo Bills. And this is what happened on the first drive, right? I think they ran the ball like eight times and then they threw it only once. So they just wanted to control the clock and run it down the the Bills' throat. But it didn't work. I mean, you still had to make some plays in the passing game. And Lamar Jackson just didn't rise to the occasion i saw steve smith say it on the nfl network that he feels that the baltimore ravens passing attack it's too simplistic like teams know what's coming and with that with that strong bill secondary they certainly were all over it they allowed a couple of plays to marquise brown but overall i mean they just shut them out and then that interception in the end zone in the third quarter just sealed the deal the ravens just fell completely short and didn't show up against the Buffalo Bills as far as I'm concerned.
0: I mean, it was a completely different game, but just the feel of it for Baltimore was the same like last year against Tennessee. More first downs, more total yards, more plays, some ridiculous advantage in time of possession. Uh, better on third down. I mean, Buffalo really, I mean, quite frankly, on offense, didn't do a whole lot. We, we've seen them dominate the last eight, ten weeks. They're averaging over 34 points a game. You know, here Baltimore kind of did what they're, they typically do. Buffalo's defense bottled up Lamar Jackson. Even when they rushed him, he didn't make any big plays in the game. Usually, at least once a game, he makes a play. That you're just like wow kind of like against Tennessee the, the previous week where he you know again they didn't do much offensively that were explosive but all of a sudden he gets pushed out of the pocket and bang he's gone for a touchdown 45 yards and like wow, where did that come from right and you just didn't see that so they were disciplined as far as that goes but I still say we were on the right side in that game and that maybe stats are for losers or whatever but My goodness, when they're down there, it's 10 to 3. They've got the ball in the red zone, and this is what's going to haunt Lamar Jackson. And this is why you've got so many people that even though no matter what kind of numbers he puts up during the regular season or how dominant a player that that he can be, an electric player that he can be, this is what's going to haunt him and be held over his head is where he just throws it into a sea of blue jerseys. You know, God bless him. The kid runs it back 101 yards. Tradavius White makes a huge play on it where he is just sprinting down the field, catches. Uh, Lamar Jackson kind of just gets in his way so it ends up being a touchdown yeah that was it Justin Tucker misses two field goals okay it was windy you know whatever you want to say but when's the last time he's missed two field goals
1: he's missed her automatic usually and unbelievable he's the, he's the best he's the he may be the best ever right so that's it was just the Ravens the Ravens had to walk away with some points even if it wasn't a touchdown they had to they could have been up nine to three at halftime if if Tucker makes two of those field goals but you got to walk away with points especially when you're on the road when you're a dog you know that offense eventually is going to wake up and the way they were playing defense even though you said the Ravens were controlling the clock they weren't able to score and right. that that's what haunted them and it, it came back to bite them in the end and uh, it's just unfortunate because if Tucker hits those two field goals the game could have been different but in my opinion The Ravens' offense just fell short. J.K. Dobbins dropped a couple of passes. Lamar Jackson throws that pick. That certainly wasn't his best game. This is not what Super Bowl-type teams do in that situation. They play their best football in the second half, and I I thought, how can I wake up the Ravens in the second half? They seem to be walking through some kind of a trance or something, thinking— that they're still going to play next week, yet they just they, they didn't show up. Lamar has got to get it together, and at times you have to find a fault guy, and I think Greg Roman has got to go. I just think you have to make some changes, you have to become more creative, uh, come up with better schemes, and, and be more imaginative in terms of your personnel and, instead of what you are, because I think during the season, even Lamar Jackson criticized the offensive scheme. So that was a shot at his offensive coordinator, and then uh, you hear you know certain former players also mention the fact that the the Ravens passing attack is predictable. You add those two things together and you just realize that they have to go in a different direction. Uh, Bavada has the over and under 54 points for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills game. If Mahomes plays, I mean, I'm sure you and I are taking the over, right?
0: I don't know. And I hate to give a a wishy-washy answer. I would still tend to go under... Just because in these playoff games, things do tend to tighten up a little bit. Usually you don't get these aerial circuits. Like even earlier this season when they played, the expectation was this is just going to be a free-for-all. There's Just whoever has the ball last. And it turns out, I think it was 26-17 uh, to 17 or something like that, Chiefs ended up running. The, they had over 200 yards rushing, which I don't think has ever happened under Andy Reid. But just the way Buffalo played defense in the game, it forced them to say, okay, fine, you're gonna put everybody back, you're gonna take away the, the explosive plays, we're just gonna run it down your throat, and they did. So it really depends on Buffalo's uh, defensive scheme. Now, what are they gonna do? That's what we have to decide first before you bet the total, I think. I haven't decided yet what they're gonna do because I'm not really sure. Do they play you know man to man and hope like hell Tyree Kill doesn't kill them over the top? If they play zone, it seems like Kelsey will eat all day, And the Chiefs have shown a propensity to kind of, you know, start to kind of throttle things back a little bit, maybe use a little bit more clock. You saw a lot of long drives, even against the Browns. I would actually tend to think under just because of the game conditions, the fact that, you know, a little bit more ball control on both sides, actually.
1: But you are taking the Chiefs in this game. I mentioned Well, of course it's minus three. <laughs> it's minus three. I, I assume that you're you're taking the points as well.
0: No, I'm giving the points i am uh, I will give the three points away and and uh just say whatever. I mean if Mahomes plays, you know regardless of what the spread is, I'm gonna take the chiefs i mean i okay I'm not gonna i'm not gonna sit here and pretend <laughs> I'm not gonna be all in on them, regardless of the situation, you know, unbiased. Uh, analyst on a big time network. No, we're we're giving our opinions. That's just kind of the game that we're in. And I'm not going to be an analyst here. I'm going to be a homer in the playoffs. No apologies there. But I still think, regardless, they're the champs. They've been there just so like the Browns have to learn to win in the playoffs. I mean, this is the first time. Those guys didn't get the whole you know playoff environment in awe of the guys on the other side. That probably wasn't the case. But just the situation, you got to get used to that. And again, these Buffalo players haven't been there before. And the Chiefs, even though they're not scoring a ton of points, they're not beating teams by 10 points every week or 15 points or whatever everybody expects. They win. They know what to do in the fourth quarter. And some of these teams, you have to learn how to win. And unfortunately, Buffalo hasn't been this far in a long time either. And none of these players have. Chiefs, minus three, got to do
1: it. I'm taking the Bills, plus three. It's a little bit of a shocker just because I've been on the Chiefs bandwagon and I've talked to you how I feel the Chiefs are the best team and they're going to win the Super Bowl. But there's just something about Buffalo. They've won eight straight games. Josh Allen is playing well. Their passing attack is also something that I would be worried about if I was the Kansas City Chiefs because you know the Bills aren't going to run the ball. They're going to trust Josh Allen. They're going to trust their receivers. Chiefs can't cover Stephon Diggs either. I I don't think anybody has all season. And I would love to see the... What they'll design, what they would try to do, because if you're going to play man coverage, he's going to eat it alive. But I think the Bills are going to play zone. They don't want Tyreek Hill to beat them. This is like a Bill Belichick type of defense. You don't want the explosive plays. You want to limit them. So you want to limit Tyreek Hill. So you got to play zone. Let Kelsey have 5, 10, 15 yards. Let them do it. The Chiefs are still going to try to be impatient, by trying to hit those home runs to those receivers. They're going to say "All right, Kansas City, show us that you can run the ball just like you did last time we lost that game. I don't think they can and uh, that's I'm taking Buffalo on the road. They're going back to the Super Bowl, Lou. And maybe I would have felt differently a little bit if Patrick Mahomes didn't have this injury. Whatever it is.
0: Toe is more concerning to me because when he kind of kind of turned it or whatever happened, kind of that whatever turf toe type injury, that's the one that's more concerning because, you know, his plant foot, he wasn't really throwing the ball to his left as well after that happened. And you saw him every time he was like moving or like after a play, he's kind of like, you know, gingerly going back to the huddle and and not moving as well. So I think that would be more so something to take a look at. And if uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire Is able to go. I hope he is. Uh, It's been a while. He was pointing in the right direction for the Cleveland game, but they held him out. I think uh, you know that'll be a big factor too if he can play, because then now you've got a three-headed monster at at running back with uh, Daryl Williams still waiting for Le'Veon Bell to do something. I don't know where is he.
1: I was assuming that Le'Veon Bell was going to take most of the carries. He was going to be in there for the most part, and with Uh, You know, Clyde Edwards Elaire being out, and that's not what happened. Williams just got most of the snaps. He got most of the carries, and I didn't even notice Le'Veon Bell on the football field.
0: They tried throwing to him a few times. I think Mahomes had him once, it looked like, for a touchdown. I don't know if they just kind of miscommunicated on where the throw was going to be he didn't quite lead him into the end zone it was almost closer like a back shoulder throw at the goal line and and you thought that was going to be the play because it looked like he had he had a a step on the linebacker but evidently they're seeing stuff in practice that uh that we're not yeah Daryl Williams was a guy and he I don't know he averaged like six yards of carry in the game so you can't fault uh the production from him if Alaire plays you know you might see a lot more running Joining us now is Teron Davenport. He covers the Tennessee Titans for ESPN. I'd like to welcome him in. Teron, how you doing? Hey, what's going on, fellas? Appreciate you having me on.
2: Alex, it's been too long, man. It's been too long, so I'm glad we're on here.
1: Well, we actually saw each other, right, last year. Uh, We were both at the Senior Bowl in that indoor facility, and uh, you were hanging out with your guy,
2: yeah, Emory Hunt. That's my partner in crime. But even then,
1: you know, we didn't get to talk long enough.
2: So this is a good opportunity to catch up, man.
1: You guys have become too big, you know, too big, Teron. To and it's just oh, check af- that out. I- I'm afraid to to go down there and and say something to you nowadays because hey, you're no you're way. working for ESPN now, you know.
2: Hey, that's all right. The, the the letters don't change the person, man. You know, I'm always gonna be the same old me. And we could always have those conversations and the back and forth about quarterbacks like we do. <laughs>
1: Let's go with the Titans. You know, the, Arthur Smith has taken the head coaching job with the Falcons. What will he bring to Atlanta, to run?
2: Oh, man. It, you know, Arthur Smith is going to bring balance. He's going to bring detail. These guys on that offense are going to be in an awesome position to make plays and that's what he brings you know when I say balance look at what happened last year 2027 yards rushing for Derrick Henry the fifth most total in the history of the game and then you had two guys well A.J. Brown hit 1,000 yards Corey Davis fell just short but he fell 16 yards short despite only playing 14 games and having basically zero production in the last three so that just goes to show you what Arthur Smith is capable of doing. And if you go back and watch the All-22 and some of the things that he does, I'm talking about using tight end John Smith in the backfield. I'm talking about putting 13 personnel on the field and and shifting into an empty package. There are so many things that he does, using motion to get guys in position to get an easy catch and opportunity to turn up field, creating uh, just a huge alley for Derrick Henry to run in on the wide side of the, the field. I mean, there are so many things that he brings to the table. I could go on and on about Coach Art's offense. I absolutely love it. He is is, is a guy that will be a leader to that team. And it doesn't seem like it from watching him on, on press conferences, right? <laughs> but he is a very personable person. You get him one-on-one and, and talk to him, and you really like you fall in love with the guy. And that's what happened with all of the guys on the offense, even the defense. I mean, look at – the responses that people had on social media you know some of the guys whether it's Will Compton you know Kevin Byer, Kenny Vaccaro these guys are all saying hey you know Falcons got a great one when you have defensive players vouching for an OC like that that lets you know really uh, the way that he was able to connect with the players so all of those things are absolute positives that he's bringing to the table and I I think the Falcons are going to be in good hands in
0: the coming years. Well, no question, Arthur Smith is a a, a rising star. Uh, what he did with Ryan Tannehill, I mean, that that speaks volumes yeah. right there. It took him off the scrap heap and made him into a Pro Bowler. Well, Teron, I guess the thing is, is well, Arthur Smith is leaving, so it yeah, begs the question. I mean, who who are the favorites? Do you think uh, come in and take over that role?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm telling you, I, I really couldn't say who the favorites are because you have an assortment of guys internally and, and Keith Carter, you know, who's the O-line coach, Pat O'Hara, who's the um, uh, quarterback's coach. You got Todd Downing, who coached the, the tight ends, but Downing and O'Hara, they have previous experience being OCs. O'Hara was an OC in the arena league, Todd Downing with the Raiders. And then you got Tony Dudes and Rob Moore, the whole staff, you, you can't put it past anyone on on the staff because all of those guys have done excellent jobs with their respective position groups. I know they did reach out to Clemson's OC, but he was not interested in, in leaving Clemson. Um, Pep Hamilton is a guy that I, I, w- I would look at, and I've reached out. Uh, you, you know, they haven't given any indications of
1: what direction they're going to go. But you do think it's going to be an internal hire, right?
2: That, that I'm not sure, and, and that's the thing that's so crazy about it. I, I know Mike Vrabel is is big on continuity, so I would imagine it would be. But I wouldn't be shocked if they went outside of the box and brought somebody in uh, externally. It, it's really no, there's no telling right now.
0: So they've obviously been ultimately successful. You know, you mentioned all the balance, the scoring is up and so forth. What do you think that the number one job would be for that new offensive coordinator?
2: It would be to maintain that balance. It would be to continue to focus on Derrick Henry. And I wrote about this on ESPN.com this morning. I think you have to understand, and Coach Art said it best. He said the way uh, uh, Derrick Henry is, is is like using Shaq in his prime. You got to feed the big fella, and that's really what they have to do, and everything just kind of comes off of that. So that next coordinator has to understand that, and he has to have that patience to know, okay, even though this rushing attack isn't necessarily working now, if we keep at it, it will work later in the game. But it also sets everything up. Play action passing is, is huge for them, and that's something that's going to have to continue to happen because, you know, when you have teams stacking eight in the box, you have to have ways to make teams pay. And you, you have to make sure that you're keeping things fresh too, which was another thing that Arthur Smith did very well as far as layering plays, you know, showing one look and, and, and consistently using a certain uh, package out of that, but then, doing packages off of
0: that package. So you always keep the uh, the defense off balance. Okay, so a couple of years ago, they were, not this past season, season before, they were a little bit of a, a surprise, a little bit of a re- revelation in the playoffs going into Baltimore, winning that game, having a lead at Kansas City. It seemed like offensively they were even better this year. So you know, was there a regression with this team? What, I mean, what do you think was, where did they come up short?
2: Oh, it's absolutely defensively. They went from 40-plus sacks to, to 19. And then there there wasn't any consistent pressure on the quarterback. They don't put a lot of weight in sacks. They love them, but they want to impact the quarterback. And you didn't see that happening as much this year. And they've always been a bend but don't break. That's Dean Pease. That's his M.O. That's what he, he does. His defense, well, well, they'll give up yards, but they're not getting. Once you get in the red zone it's time to clamp down and, and you're not going to score touchdowns consistently. Well, this past year, teams were scoring 69% <laughs> touchdown, 69% of their trips to into the red zone. That's terrible. And, and then when you look at uh, the third down opportunities, they gave offenses too many opportunities to, to convert on third downs. I'm, I'm not talking about just third and shorts. I'm talking about third and 13, third and 10, third and 18 at times in critical parts of the game. That can't continue to happen, especially if you expect to be a, a championship team, and I think that was really where the major regression was on the defensive side of things. They need to find a guy who who can hold things down in the back end much better, and more importantly the front end. You can't win in this league without having a, a, a dominant pass rusher.
1: Why didn't Vrabel hire a defensive coordinator when Pease retired? I mean, obviously that was a huge mistake on his part. You can't Juggle two things at once. Uh, why wasn't that Why wasn't that done?
2: You know, I don't one hundred percent think it was a huge mistake, because they still had a a defensive coordinator as far as obligation and and role with the team. He just didn't have that title, and that was Shane Bowen, who was the outside linebackers coach. That's someone that that dates back to the Houston days with with Mike Vrabel, and they worked together a lot with the outside linebackers at times. So I say all that to say, Coach Bowen is 100% on the same page with Mike Vrabel. And so when Vrabel wasn't there in in, in the defensive meetings, Shane Bowen was the one delivering the message. Shane Bowen was the one that had a lot to do with the game plan and the install. He didn't name a, a defensive coordinator just because he wanted to go with that continuity as far as he and 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 Shane Bowen. He wanted to be more involved with the defense. Now, granted, it didn't work. We just went over a bunch of reasons why the team, you know, came up short, and all of them were pointing defensively. But at the same time, it wasn't so much just title as much as it was just the scheme and the players. You know, and, and that's the thing that I think gets lost on, on a lot of this. There's a reason why players get paid, you, you know, in in the 40 and 50 millions. And coaches don't, because at the, at the end of the day, the bottom line is you could put a player in a position to execute, but if he doesn't execute and, and make a play, that's not really on the coach. That's on the player. And there were a lot of times where they had quarterbacks dead to rights. They didn't bring the quarterback down. Is that the scheme's fault or is that the player's fault? Now, granted, there were times, you know, on, on third and sixth, where the corners were lining up 10 yards off the ball. It was a quick quick out or, or, you know, a stop route or something like that, and it's a first down. So it, it goes both ways. I don't think all their shortcomings were on defensive coordinator and uh, not having one, that is. And I, I don't think that that was a huge mistake. Now, this year, I definitely think they need to bring a guy in, right? And I think Vrabel kind of thought he was bringing a veteran in and Jim Haslett to be the, the the inside linebacker's coach, and that would help. But I think they absolutely need to bring a guy in that could draw up some schemes, develop some ways to to get to the passer, even if they don't have the horses. And uh, me personally, I don't think you can run a race. I don't care if you know the best defensive coordinator ever is drawing up the plays. I don't care if Dick LeBeau is drawing up the plays. You know, Dean Pease is drawing up the plays. If you don't have the horses up front to to run the race, you're not gonna win.
0: Well, one of those horses they brought in was Jadevian Clowney, and he's been a bit of an enigma in the league. He didn't really add much when he was healthy. He's never really been a, like a top-notch pass rusher as far as what, yeah. I, what I've seen. What's your take on him, Charon? What do you think of him moving forward?
2: Yeah, he's never really been a, a, a top-notch pass rusher, uh, especially off the edge. You know, he's a guy who's very interesting with Clowney, and I talked with his his trainer a lot, and, and they they were trying to work on ways to – you know, get him more flexible and, and and be able to turn and corner much better because that's what keeps him from being such a dominant player on the edge. Like he'll get there, but it just like, he's not getting there fast enough. So that's why he gets a lot of pressures and not sacks. But you put him on the interior now, you got you got something. You're you're cooking with something there. But I, I think with him this past year, he didn't even participate in camp. He got to the to the team a week before their their season opener. Um, That injury happened early and it just never uh, fell into place, but he's another guy that was in position to make plays, but at times didn't make them, you know? So I I think it was, it was worth the, the, the try, right? Because I mean, how you're not going to make a shot if you don't take it. So I, I understand what John Robinson and Mike Vrabel were doing and bringing him in, because remember 2017, he had his best season as a pro with Mike Vrabel as his defensive coordinator and that's why he personally wanted to come to the Titans. So it's, it's a tough situation because the results definitely didn't come. But if you were expecting 10, 11 sacks from, from Clowney, then you were expecting the wrong thing. Really what was supposed to happen was he was supposed to get a lot of double teams and that was supposed to open things up on the opposite side for Harold Landry. You know, But they kind of put themselves in the corner when they, they didn't play Harold, uh, not Harold Landry, they didn't play Kamale Correa a lot and then they traded him away. And for the most part, you know, with Derek Robeson hurt, they were fielding three outside linebackers per game, you know, and, and Clowney and and, and uh, Harold Landry are playing 60-plus snaps. So that's, that's too much.
1: You mentioned that you expect Derrick Henry to continue to get the ball, and that makes sense after getting over 2,000 rushing yards last season. But he had almost 400 carries that season. The mm-hmm. past two seasons – He's been carrying the rock. Will this team make an effort to decrease his carries moving forward? Because, I mean, he can't go at this pace. We all know that running backs take a lot of hits, especially him. Do you expect the team to make an effort in that regard?
2: Yeah, that was part of the reason why they drafted uh, Darrington Evans was to kind of balance things out a little bit. But you know, the thing is, if you watch Derrick Henry and, and Adrian Peterson, when I talked to him about Derrick Henry, he said the same thing. He's really not taking a lot of hits. You know, a lot of times he's the one delivering the blow, and then you've got the stiff arm that he uses. And you look at the the uh, Alex Myers situation, or the guy from the Lions. He stiff-armed him, but then, you know, kind of drifted out of bounds. That's considered a, a tackle, when it was a carry, but he really didn't get any, any punishment on that. And you see that a lot of times with Derrick Henry. I mean, I could count on one hand in the last two years how many like, actual legitimate hard hits that he took. And I, I won't get to five. There's probably, there's probably four of them. For me, when I watch Derrick Henry, I, I don't think that the carries are really going to have a, a toll on him. And then you also have to look at the way that he conditions himself and the things that he does. You know, one of his mentors is Sean Alexander, and I wrote about this earlier this season, you know, maybe about four weeks ago. Alexander explained how Derrick Henry does a, a good job like he, some of the, the the advice that he gives them as far as you know like making sure that you're getting your sleep, making sure that you're doing a hot and cold tub, maximizing your recovery period, every single decision that you're making from sleep to food to exercise to the sneakers you wear are all based upon making sure that your body is in tip-top condition. And I, I think that's really the situation with Derrick Henry. And it's not a coincidence that this guy gets stronger when other teams, you know, defenses get, they wear it down. I don't think another 400 carry season is, is in the picture, but I definitely think that you, you need to balance it. But I don't think that it's going to be a, a huge thing for him because He's just, he's different. You know, like Wesley Woodard said, Derrick Henry is visiting from another planet. You know, he's just here for a little bit from another galaxy. And that's really kind of what, what, it, what it looks like. If you, if you, you know, watch him play. Which young <laughs> players do you think kind of have made a jump? Uh, Players that have made a jump. I, you know, it starts with Corey Davis. I, I think when you look at him play, he played with a lot more confidence. He was finally healthy. And it really showed. And I finally saw him attacking the football, making those contested combat type of catches in traffic, getting yards after the catch. And there was just a different edge that he played with. So Corey Davis is someone that I right away think of uh, that that made a, a jump. And I think that he's someone they absolutely have to do everything they can to bring him back, obviously within reason. After Corey Davis, I'm going to say Nate Davis, he got my vote for All-Pro. You know what I mean? At guard. And if you look at most of the long runs or even just solid runs that Derrick Henry had, Nate Davis was clearing the way. Now, there were some hiccups from a pass pro perspective, and that's an area where he's still working on. But as a run blocker, that dude absolutely, he's a people mover. So he he made a jump, you know, in year two, especially after seeing, you know, at times as, as a rookie, how he got dominated. That wasn't happening this year. Those would probably be the major guys that that made a jump uh, this this past season. I, I can't really think of too many others. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons, I would say, really established himself as as a as a force in the middle of the defense. The guy does an excellent job of of mirroring the quarterback's hands. Right, the quarterback goes to throw, his hands go up, and you see that resulting in a lot of tip passes. And he's still a force, you know, against the run. So those would be three guys I would I would point to.
1: You mentioned that the Titans wanna bring in Corey Davis back and they would it would be silly for them not to to want that, but do you think he's actually gonna come back or have the Titans priced themselves out based on the year that he had?
2: No, I don't think they priced themselves out. I think it's just a, a matter of finding that right number. I think, you know, ten to twelve million is probably where, you know, that sweet spot uh more towards the twelve million side of things. It's definitely possible, too, because I know that the Titans are up against the cap, but, you know, there's some things that they could do to move some money around, uh, kick the can down down the street a little bit more, kind of pay the price a bit later when the cap will begin to, uh, you know, go back up and, and you'll have more space. I, I think they could definitely bring him back.
1: Where do you think this team is going to go in free agency in the draft? Like what positions do you think they need to address?
2: Absolutely edge, you know, a a few players uh, along those lines because, like I said, they were fielding only three. You know, Clowney's going to be a free agent. Uh, Brooks Reed, you know, came off the street, was starting for them. So that's something to definitely take notice of. I think a guy like Joseph Asai out out of Texas is perfect for them. Patrick Jones, the second, who we'll see next week in in Mobile. Um, Quincy Roche, who will also be down there. Those are some good options. You know, Zayvon Collins. He's another one. So this draft class actually has, is shaping up really well from a, a, a an edge defender side of things, so that's a bonus. But then you look free agency. You know, Carl Lawson is a guy that I absolutely think that they need to look at because the way that he plays and the way that he looks at the game, it, it, it's perfect for what the Titans want to do. You could tell from watching Lawson play and even getting to talk to him at, this, uh, at the uh, Combine, Uh, years ago what three years ago you know and just just asking him about football and getting that combo you could tell he loves the game so I think that's a match there
0: well that's some tremendous information about the Titans Teron I can indulge us a second here and just maybe talk about a team that you used to cover it it seems like things have unraveled very quickly in Philadelphia I mean it's just a few years ago they won the Super Bowl but I mean do you have any insight on what What's going on? Is it is it as bad as it looks in the press, the internal machinations of the Eagles?
2: I definitely I think it is. And I I think it was just one of those things that has just been bubbling and bubbling and bubbling. And I I think it just it bubbled over this time. You know, it's a lot like a, a bottle of soda. Right. And you shake it up and you keep shaking it and shaking it. Then when you just crack it, it goes all over the place. And that's what happened this year. And I say all that because I remember 2018 talking to some of the players in that locker room uh, because I got the opportunity to to cover the uh, Eagles Texans game. I I, I was so fortunate enough to do a back-to-back game because our ESPN reporter, Sarah Barship had a baby. So, you know, I got to do the Texans game and I remember going into that Eagles locker room and talking to some of the guys and, they still wanted Nick Foles on that team. They still preferred Nick Foles as the quarterback. Really, all of the division and all of the the issues, it it goes, it starts, unfortunately, with Carson Wentz. It's a shame because the guy is a good player. Uh, There have been things that happened on both sides to to keep him from becoming uh, the elite guy that they traded, you know, up in the draft a few times to, to get. But that's really where the issue is. So, yes, it is very much as bad as what you're seeing in the media. There are guys in that locker room that they feel that, that you know, he gets the golden boy treatment and, you know, that there's not enough. There There's kind of like a different set of rules for him. That's that's unfortunate. It's a tough situation. <laughs> Whoever goes in as that head coach, you know, um, I really would love to see Deuce get the job, but, man, he's going to be in. Whoever that head coach is, is going to be really, uh, you're swimming in some choppy water. And uh, I wish whoever that takes over the best with that.
1: Last question that we have for you, Teron. Uh, we have four teams left in the playoffs. Who do you think will win the Super Bowl and why? Let's go Chiefs. <laughs>
2: Let's go Chiefs. I think if, I would love to see a, a Kansas City and Green Bay Super Bowl. I, I think the Chiefs, would, would win the Super Bowl just because there's just so much that you have to deal with with that team, right? You start focusing on Tyreek Hill, then, then Kelsey's going to kill you across the middle. And then don't forget that they have, you know, an assortment of options out of the backfield, whether it's Damian Williams, uh, Edwards Lair, or if they play Bell. And then you, you got other, Mecole Hardman, you got Sammy Watkins. They are so stacked in their line is solid. And then defensively, Man, any defense with Tyron Matthew on it is going to be solid, you know. And then you you got you got Chris Jones and, and Frank Clark in there. I, I don't see any team beating the Chiefs. I think they have their way with the Bills, you know. As long as the stars line up correctly and, and, and Mahomes is playing, I think they have the way with Buffalo. And I, I think they beat uh, Green Bay in the Super Bowl. And it's back to back Magic Johnson style.
0: Do you feel my smile coming through? <laughs> I, I can imagine, a Chiefs no. fan, Teron. I, I you don't know me that well, so but I've been a Chiefs fan my whole life, so I'm just I'm just giggling to myself over here. So appreciate yes, the sir. answer.
1: You made and, his well, day. Well, hopefully I didn't jinx your team, man. No, <laughs> I picked against them. I mean, I picked the Bills, and I think Lou was mad at me yesterday. So you made his day today, Teron. There we go. <laughs> Teron, please tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and where they can find your work.
2: Yeah, for sure. You can find me on Twitter at T Davenport underscore NFL, Uh, Teron Davenport NFL on uh, Instagram and obviously ESPN.com. You just click the Titans page or click team page, then the Titans page, go ahead and subscribe to that. Anything that I write about the Titans will come up, search uh, Spotify, Google podcasts, anywhere you get your uh, iTunes, anywhere you get your podcast. I have a show called talking with TD. You know, we, we, talk draft we talk titans general nfl so you, you can find me on all of those those channels those platforms
1: enjoy your trip to the senior bowl i mean this is where the draft starts so enjoy that week
2: yeah for sure man i will and i appreciate you and we got to catch up uh, at, at some point
1: thanks for being with us man we appreciate it take care no thank problem you, thank you yep all right we uh, broke down the afc championship game now let's get to the nfc championship game it's the the green bay packers versus the tampa bay bucks aaron Rodgers versus tom brady you can't write scripts like this i mean this is what the nfl this is what an average football fan lives for this is what these analysts you know when they're diving in and and they're breaking down these matchups it's it's as good as it gets, and the Green Bay Packers are a number one seed. Bovada has them minus three and a half point favorite versus the Tampa Bay Bucks. How does he do it, Lou How does Tom Brady just save himself for the playoffs and just continues to to play it at such a high level?
0: I mean it's just a lifestyle and it didn't just start as he got older I mean he's been you know had this training method. As long as I can remember, (laughs) he's been around for as long as I can remember. Whether it's, you know, these guys going on vacation, they take trainers with them. It's the nutrition. I mean, he uses plyometrics. I don't even think he's lifted weights in, in years. It's all, you know, stretching and bands and that sort of thing. So from a physical standpoint, I think that has a lot to do with it. And the fact that, you know, knock on wood for him, he really hasn't had any major injuries in the last, like, 10 or 15 years. It blew out his knee the one year in the first game of the season... And, you know, was out, but really no ill effects throughout his career. And, fortunately for him, he was never really a fast guy, so his legs were more of, you know, helping him throw it. But you watch him throw. I don't know that he's ever thrown it much better than this. I mean, seriously, the ball's coming out of his hands. There's some heat. Again, I mean, they didn't hit a bunch of passes down, down the field in this particular game. But he had one of his best seasons ever. And the whole time, they were trying to figure out what kind of team they were going to be. What's this offense going to be? And it evolved over the weeks. And after the bye week, they just continued to get better and better and better. And you saw against New Orleans. I mean, playing in New England with limited offensive firepower, if you say. You know, he's kind of winning with his wits. I think that prepared him for this game against New Orleans because... I don't know. I think Mike Evans caught one ball. Yeah, Michael Thomas on the other side, I was going to talk about that too, zero. So he's a lot more hurt than, than I think they've let on. I mean, for him to go zero catches in a game, in the most important game of the season, that's ridiculous. Brady's leading receiver in the game was bright. Who's open? That's where he's throwing the ball. He just knows where to put it. Even when he missed, it was out of harm's way. So I mean, he threw he threw those picks against New Orleans in the first game. In the second game, he looked awful. Hey, here we are. When is money time? If he was missing, it was either low or away from the defenders everything else he did a masterful job now granted their defense was a big part of it and devin white that's a whole other discussion i mean that was he was like a man possessed but yeah as far as brady's concerned it's it's kind of all that experience is in his head and he just draws on that and you can't really beat somebody like that badly because he's always going to have his team in the game and hopefully we'll see that this weekend.
1: It came down to those turnovers. I mean, you mentioned that the defense rose to the challenge. They they forced three interceptions on Drew Brees, and none was bigger than what Devin White came up with. The score was 23-20. to 20. He comes up with that pick, the Bucs drive, and they scored the touchdown. And, you know, that was the end of the game. And I also felt, you know, we're giving Tom Brady a lot of praise, but I felt like for the second straight game in a row in the playoffs, Leonard Fournette showed up. He played really well. He carried the ball. He caught the ball well out of the backfield. In my opinion, he was the catalyst for that offense when you didn't see Godwin quite as much. You mentioned Mike Evans only having that one touchdown, that one touchdown. Reception during the game. I felt like the Bucks leaned on the running game, and Leonard Fournette, he showed up, and I I expect him to continue to have that huge role against the Green Bay Packers, especially in the cold. I think there was one stat that kind of amazed me: that in the last twenty or thirty years, Tom Brady is twelve and two in the cold. Obviously, he's he's played a lot of those games in Foxborough, but he is the best cold weather quarterback of this 21st century i'm curious do you think he's going to continue to do that against the the green bay packers or are you rolling with the underdog on the road you
0: know i've been bitten by the underdog uh it, this past weekend i think it i don't know it kind of usually plays out that way the favorites kind of come back and do their business in the uh you know, in the divisional round. That is a tough number. It really is. I mean, Green Bay playing as well as they're playing, but like you said, you got the old pro. I think it comes down to the, the other players. You mentioned Fournette. You mentioned uh you know, Ronald Jones for the limited action he had. He was he showed some juice. Fournette, this is probably the first time or probably the the freshest he's been at this time of the year since I don't know, maybe peewee football, because <laughs> everywhere, you know, LSU, I mean, how many carries was he? He was carrying the ball every play for Jacksonville. He was carrying the ball, you know, 250, 300 times a season. I think this year he probably got it 150. So maybe that that's a little bit of it. He's, he's fresh. And Ronald Jones, I mean, he brings a little bit different dimension, a little bit more wiggle, a little bit more speed. It's going to be a a tough game. It it really is, I think, uh, both ways. I mean, the last time, you know, somebody went in there, you know, Eli Manning went in there and beat – beat Green Bay at home in the cold. Can Brady do it after, you know, spending the entire season in the sunshine and, you know, blood's thinned a little bit, maybe not quite as used to it? I don't know if that's going to be a- as big uh, a deal as maybe, you know, I guess people sitting at home make it because, you know, there's adrenaline. There's, you, you're playing, you know, you're, you're you're bred for this. I mean, you're, you've been playing football your whole life. Uh, you're not going to go in a shell. If you're asking me for my pick right now, it's going to be awfully hard for me to go against Brady getting points. But if I have to pick it, and I do, I'm gonna. I think I'm going to take the Bucks plus three and a half.
1: But you're taking the points. Do you think the Bucks will win?
0: Typically, when you're looking at a game and you're going to take the underdog, you want to believe that that team has a chance to win. And the points is just a, is just a bonus. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Of course, they have a chance to win. Uh, they they took them apart you know, at that game they played in Tampa, which, you know, again, probably doesn't mean much at all. But from a confidence standpoint, I got to believe Tampa Bay can draw on that game and say, hey, we can beat these guys. It doesn't matter where we play. Just from that perspective, the confidence level. Now, obviously, they're two completely different teams right now. Aaron Rodgers is in, I mean, he's like been in the zone most of the season. And if you hear him talk, I mean, he's, this is the, the happiest I've ever seen him. He's smiles all the time where typically it was that scowl and I don't know if it was Mike McCarthy and I don't want to say sick of football but I don't think he was enjoying himself this year I mean after that first year kind of getting used to the whole LaFleur system and so forth and, and now he's had a chance and you know Devontae Adams is by Robert Tanyan's been a been a revelation. He, the running backs he can throw to, You know, occasionally you got Lazard making a play, sometimes it's Valdez Scantling. No matter who, I mean he just seems to be enjoying himself and he's just kind of like a puppet master, so it's really hard to pick against him if it was anybody else on the other side. I would pick Green Bay. But with Brady, it's very difficult to think that his team is going to go in there and lay an egg on a championship game. I mean, he no one's been here as much as he has. And he can kind of raise everybody else and raise their game. They can do I think they can do it.
1: That would be quite a story because he's 43 years old, and I don't think a quarterback... There have been some quarterbacks in their late 30s that have been to the Super Bowl, but I don't think we've ever seen a quarterback no. who's been 43, go to the Super Bowl. And this would be quite a story because they're going to be playing in their home stadium, right? Right. I mean, yep. the Super Bowl is at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, and I don't think a home team has ever no. hosted the Super Bowl in Never their time. Never happened. Never so
0: happened. I
1: I think history is against the Bucks. Oh, it it's, certainly is. Yeah, I don't yeah, everything I mean, no... is pointing in the direction of the Green Bay Packers because everyone wants Tom Brady and the Bucks to play in their in their home field.
0: I don't know about and, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, I, don't I, I guess. I mean, there's probably it's
1: fifty-fifty. <laughs> it's it's split. I'm sure Bill Belichick doesn't want Brady in the there's Super Bowl. There's
0: a lot. There's a lot of people out there that have a lot of animosity against the old number twelve. I don't. I you know. There's. I'm sure there's people that love him, but in most cases, yeah, they they're like, okay, enough of this guy.
1: I'm taking Green Bay. I think they're going to get it done at home. I think Aaron Rodgers will be the one playing in the Super Bowl in Tampa. Uh, this Tom Brady story has been nothing short of amazing. This is what he came for. It's not only Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the Packers are in a zone. They're running back Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams. Who can stop this guy? Jalen Ramsey tried, and um, I know they used some favorable matchups and motions to get him away from Ramsey, but he wasn't able to stop him. So I'm not sure that the Bucks' corners can stop Devontae Adams uh, because Jalen Ramsey is much better than that. I'm going with the Green Bay Packers and Bovada also has the over and under on this game at 51 points for the Packers and the Bucks. Is this going to be a high scoring affair uh, assuming that we're going to be playing in the cold again?
0: The big thing when you're looking at an over and under and again having done this for years, it's normally not the the cold, rain is probably the, the is a tough one because the ball tends to get slick but I think in the cold I think it's more so the wind. If it's really windy and it's difficult, you know, to get the ball downfield and be accurate, then, you know, that kind of limits the explosive plays and it tends to be more ball control, so you're going to see a lower score. And I just think again, in a championship game, again, teams are going to Favor trying to keep the ball from the other side more than, hey, let's just go, just keep scoring. Again, I hate to be like on the other side of things, but I think it's going to be another, you know, lower scoring game. Now, granted, 51 is a pretty high number. You can still, you know, have the game in the low 20s. And still be a a pretty good game and see some offense and see defense. And it would be an entertaining game. So I think I'm going to stick with with my under theme here. Now, I don't mean to, I guess, belabor this point or going backwards here. But, I mean, the the, the Rams in that game against the Packers. Now, you know, in retrospect, you know, Aaron Donald, I, I thought he'd play a little bit more. But he was really limited as far as the number of snaps. And he really wasn't much of a factor in the game. But in, in looking back at it, when they were putting acres back in the wildcat, what, what did, did you, you think of that whole thing?
1: They had to get creative just because Jared Goff is, is not playing his best football. I mean, regardless of the injury or not, him and Sean McVay are not on the same page. They're just not. And Goff is not playing at a very high level. So you had to do something. You either put Robert Woods in there or you put Cam Akers. You try to show them things that they haven't seen uh, to this day, uh, something that the Rams have, have done very little of. I just felt like Jared Goff had to play the, the game of his life in order for the Rams to have their shot because the Packers weren't going to allow Cam Akers to run wild like they did against the Seahawks. So Goff was going to have to have the game of his life, in the playoffs. And it seems like Jared Goff, going back to that Super Bowl against the Patriots, I don't think he has recovered from that mentally. Like, I see a completely different quarterback now from the time leading up to that Super Bowl. And it seems like the Patriots just completely demolished him, and he's lost confidence. I don't know what's going on. I mean, him and Sean McVay need to go back in the lab Get in the basement of Sean McVay's house and just draw up some plays. I mean, they have to come up with something because the way it's going right now, Jared Goff is going to get benched next season like Carson Wentz got benched with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Rams are going to be looking for a new quarterback.
0: Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of his draft classmate a little bit with Carson Wentz, where you just you're just thinking what what happened to these guys? You know, the, the situations that they were in just seemed to be maybe it was perfect, and they were able to thrive because of just the way the schemes were drawn up or the way that the offensive line, the respective offensive lines, were playing. But both those guys, huge question marks, you know, one two in their draft class. You know, a couple of times, you know, Akers, you know, I agree with you. Yeah, why not try something different? But maybe just kind of raise up, raise the ball over your head once to make it look like you might throw it, to keep the defense honest. But it was just snap and he was going right away. So, but he did score on one of those plays, the two point play that the Rams ran. They threw it out to the flat to the receiver, the kind of like a hook and lateral. I mean, it was a beautiful play. I mean they had no chance of stopping it. I thought that was pretty pretty inventive and you said you had to get creative, so they did. I think uh, a
1: lot of teams should use that play on like third and ten. <laughs> why not use that? Like you yeah. can t- you will totally throw that other team off. I mean, you can throw it five yards. You know how teams usually throw five or six yards in hopes that sure. the wide receiver will pick up the play. Well, break not, t- break why not? Why not have the running back? Sure. Why not have the running back trail or another receiver come up? The defense would totally not expect that play. I mean, the Green Bay Packers were shocked. They they didn't expect that play. Teams should get more creative in that regard on those third and long plays I think they can be successful with it
0: that seems like old old time Boise State to me I mean they (laughs) always had some crazy plays when they got close or you know two point plays that I thought that was pretty interesting I wanted to make it make a point of that yeah we got some coaches moving
1: we've got a lot of coaches moving it's been it's been a busy week because we've had five head coaches that have come away with jobs and the first one the big one Is the Jacksonville Jaguars and and Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is coming out of retirement. Uh, He has that that coaching itch to get back in the game, and he decided to to give it a a big old try. He's 57 years old. He's never been an NFL head coach. So, Lou, talk to me. I mean, is this going to work here with Jacksonville?
0: Well, I, I believe it, it really is. And here's the thing. I don't know that he would have maybe even considered some of these other jobs. I think a lot has to do with, one, the location. I mean, he's obviously familiar with Central Florida. I'm sure he still has a home down there. He's very familiar with that area and what Jacksonville needs. And they need a breath of life coming into this, 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 this whole franchise, He's got a lot of young players, being able to relate to guys that were you know, close to college. Now You can't talk to them the same way. Obviously, these are grown men. They're playing for money now. Uh, you can't hold a scholarship over their head. But what Urban is going to bring is this, discipline. Very detail oriented. He's an intelligent guy. The whole culture, environment, chemistry, whatever you, is just completely dysfunctional down there. And it's just been a mess. So they're starting basically from zero, except they've got a lot of assets. Obviously, they've got the first pick, but they've got like, I don't know what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, like 11 draft picks in this draft alone. They've got two firsts. They've got two seconds. They've got two fourths, two seventh-round picks. So there's a lot of advantages here because you're kind of starting from zero, and the, I don't know that the expectation is that great right away. Is he going to be there forever? I don't think so. I think this is a deal where maybe he makes it to like the, the third or fourth or fifth year, but I think by that point he will have groomed one of these guys that's on that he brings on with him to this staff and they kind of take the ball and run with it once they've kind of rebuilt the thing. has been a winner everywhere he's gone. Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, Ohio State. And if you look at the history, he's always kind of picking a job where he knows he can kind of implement his culture, his organization, I mean, This could be a guy that you would pick to run your company for you, and I think that's kind of the idea here, Is where he's going to be kind of like the walk-around coach and have a staff that's either had head coaching experience in the NFL, has been around NFL players, mix in some college guys because you've got a lot of young players. He spent, I don't know how many years since he retired the last time, analyzing college football players, analyzing pro schemes. I think this is going to work for what Jacksonville needs specifically. Now, maybe it doesn't work in some of these other teams because their situations are completely different. But I think in this particular place, he's handpicked it to come back in this particular situation. He's going to change things up. And I think they're going to start to win. How soon? I don't know. Depends on Trevor Lawrence or whoever they take with that first pick. He's going to change that organization for the better and set them up for things to come.
1: Well, I hope he's going to change that organization because Jacksonville went 1-15 last season under Doug Marone. It seems like Trent Balky is the new GM with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I have no trust in Balke as as a GM. He has 11 picks, and he's been there before. But in order to change this organization, this team has to hit on at least 50% of those draft picks that they have this year. And I have no confidence in that. I don't care how much film Urban Meyer is watching. I I have no trust in that. You paint a very rosy picture, and it's an optimistic picture. But the fact is by drafting Trevor Lawrence number 1 overall and even hitting on four or five of those draft picks and they become starters Jacksonville is going to go like 5 and 11 in their first year. They'll go like 7 and 9, 8 and 8 in second year. I don't think that's what Urban Meyer is signing up to do. He is shooting for the stars out there. I'm sure I'm sure he's going like I could go eight and eight in the first year and then I can get in the playoffs my second year. That's not happening with that team. They have James Robinson at running back, they get Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. They have a couple of a couple of wide receivers, young wide receivers that they drafted, but they need to completely revamp that offensive line. Cam Robinson, their left tackle, is a free agent. They gotta replace like four guys on that offensive line. They're just not good enough. Trevor Lawrence is going to take like 100 sacks next season if they keep the group that they have because Jawan Taylor is probably the only one that that gets to keep his job at right tackle. Their defense stinks, I and mean, they're atrocious. They, they traded everybody away for this ability to, to rebuild that team. The only guys that they have is C.J. Henderson, who was injured, and he's coming back. He showed some promise at Corner, the young rookie out of Florida, and then you got Miles Jack, a middle linebacker. There, that's it. They got to rebuild the defensive line. They got to rebuild the secondary. It's going to take patience. I'm not sure Urban Meyer is the most patient guy in the world. He expects to win now, but that's the expectation that he has in his head. When he loses a couple of games, when he goes on that three, four-game losing streak, what's going to happen? Is he going to think about retiring? Is he going to think about walking away like Nick Saban walked away from the Miami Dolphins? I think he will. This isn't the Big Ten. This is the NFL. This is SEC times 10 every week. And I think that division, I heard a lot of people on Twitter saying that that division is winnable. Really? Really? You think that? I mean, the Titans look like the best team, and they're not going anywhere with, with Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. I'm sure Mike Rabel is going to get that. He's going to hire that defensive coordinator and get that defense rolling again because he's a defensive guy. The Colts have a good defense and a good running game. They need to find a quarterback. I think it's an extremely difficult division, except for the Texans. Because Urban Meyer is going to be losing a lot of games than he's used to, I think that's the reason why I'm not so optimistic. He's not there for four or five years. His health concerns, they haven't gone away. He knows this. You're going to be working 18 to 20 hours in that NFL job. Even if you're going to be a CEO, he is hands-on. He doesn't know anything any better. I think this is a two-year experiment. And then once it fails, he's going to go back to that Fox studio again. I just... I don't see Urban working out.
0: And again, I guess it, it depends on how you you define, you know, I guess success in this particular area. And I agree with you. I think he does ultimately want to win, but from where they're coming from, it's going to be awfully difficult. I mean, I anybody right thinking person coming into the situation has to know. That, yeah, we don't have a lot of. I mean, you talked about the defense. Kalevon Chason is, is a, I guess, a pretty decent player. Joe Schobert, Josh Allen. So they, and Miles Jack, you mentioned CJ Henderson. So they've got a little bit of talent there, not a lot. Shark and Chenault as their receivers. You know, Chanel kind of came on at the end of the year. James Robinson was kind of a revelation. Juwan Taylor, an offensive line, played pretty well. So, so, again, there are some pieces there, but much like the Bengals, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be in this situation if your team didn't absolutely suck. I mean, this, you know, to be whatever their record was, 1-15, in they're pretty bad. So it, it is going to take a while. So I think at this age and knowing his his health concerns from the past and so forth, I mean, I, I would think, I would hope that he's learned from that and realizes that this isn't going to be an overnight thing. Maybe they do win some games next year. Maybe they win some games the following year. But really, I think it's going to be that third year. So you give this draft class a chance to kind of mature and so forth. And hopefully Trevor Lawrence doesn't get killed by then. And uh, he's ready to play. But everything you say is valid and has a place. But I think given the situation and who he's looking to bring in on his staff is really going to show you know where this is going to go and then again the draft i know you've got this trent bulky you know kind of bias but and that that's fine but we'll see 75 million in cap space all the draft picks so it's set up to have a chance to succeed. Now, whether they can do it or not remains to be seen, but I think he is going to put a plan in place, a vision that everybody's going to get on the same page, and if it's possible, he'll get it done. If it's just for some reason or another, you know, injuries, other things, unforeseen things happen, and they will. It might be a little bumpier than he may may have anticipated, but I think he has that, you know, kind of a blueprint to see these teams you know like they're I mean he's got to look at the Raiders and Gruden he, how many years did he take off He's not going to come right back and all of a sudden it's going to be an overnight thing. These draft classes have to mature. Uh, It's a function of the division you're in. And Phillip Rivers retired today, so uh, you don't know what's going to happen in Houston. So is it winnable? Not really. Not by Jacksonville right now. But if those other two teams don't get their quarterback position fixed, then it becomes a little bit more likely in year three or four.
1: He's not going to be there by year three or four. I love the Robert Sala hiring by the New York Jets. He was one of my candidates. I was pushing for him to get that job. I thought that he was going to bring this energy, this fire. He would light up that organization, how animated he gets on the sidelines and the things that he's accomplished over the last couple of years with that 49ers defense and how he was able to do it with almost nothing this year. And they, they still stayed afloat. So Salah is bringing in Mike LaFleur, who's going to bring that Kyle Shanahan's offensive system. So maybe there's hope for Sam Darnold here. Well, at least I believe that the Jets would draft the quarterback number two overall. But then you and I discussed that if Darnold goes to the 49ers, that would be a great offensive scheme for him. Now that 49ers scheme comes to him. So I think the Jets are doing this double take. We could take Zach Wilson from BYU. Uh, We can try to repair Sam Darnold. I love the Robert Sala hiring. I I just think it's probably the best hire out of all the guys that have gotten jobs so far.
0: Absolutely. What he's done with that defense in San Francisco, the reputation around the league, his ability to command a room, so to speak. So, yeah, I I like that one a lot. It seems like... You know, some of these places are going younger. I mean, obviously, the Urban Meyer thing is is an outlier. But um, how about Brandon Staley going to the Chargers? They probably fell in love with him and uh, didn't want him to get away, right? Because it seemed like, you know, he had some other opportunities. But here he is, 38 years old, uh, one year as a coordinator, and bang, now he's the head coach. And he's got uh, Justin Herbert to play with.
1: Well, they're hoping he can be that Sean McVay uh, of the defense. And the Chargers, I mean, they needed to repair that defense. He's going to bring in that 3-4 scheme, and I'm sure he's going to get creative. He has Joey Bosa and Kenneth Murray and Derwin James, and he's probably going to unleash him in this scheme. But I just think it's too early. Uh, I mean, Brandon Staley has had only four years in the NFL. He's been a, a Bears assistant for two years. I think he was a linebackers coach under Vic Fangio again with the Denver Broncos, and then they gave him that defensive coordinator job with the Rams. I get it. He's had a lot of success. He turned that Los Angeles Rams defense into the number one unit. Sometimes it's it's a bit too early, and but he's got to do his job. He's got to bring in an offensive coordinator that could take Justin Herbert even further They can improve him so he becomes a a better quarterback in year two. I think that's going to be the job, how he manages this staff. But I think, in my opinion, it's too early for Staley. That's not the move that I would have made.
0: I don't know about the you know, the Chargers. I don't know if they're thinking, you know, him being young, his first job. They don't they don't necessarily have to pay him as much. But again, it seems like the theme this year is the younger coach, not not so much the offensive coach, because that's I mean, no matter what, every year you're going to have some of those. Again, it was a meteoric rise, and here we are. He's <laughs> he's the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, which a little, little bit of a surprise. But but again, I mean, he's spoken of. Of much like you mentioned, you know, likening him to a young coach McVeigh, but you know, on the defensive side of the ball. Detroit signs uh Coach Campbell from, from New Orleans to a six-year deal today. Guys that are not necessarily, I guess, proven as a head coach typically get that long. But hey, do you think this has got like a Chris Spielman feel to it? I think didn't they hire him as an advisor? Uh in Detroit it just it just seems like he's got his fingerprints all over this.
1: This is his pick. Uh there there's no question about it, because I think he went uh with the guy that that brings passion. He was a head coach with the Miami Dolphins on an interim, you know, leash. And a lot of people have talked about Campbell, but he never got a fair shot. He's always been talked about and he's interviewed in a few places, but it's not a bad coaching tree to Uh, to to go after i mean you've got sean Payton. why not try to bring in a a few of his guys and and dan campbell has certainly been there for for a long time we we, we'll see what happens with quarterback because they certainly have a huge decision to make whether they move forward with matthew stafford or not even if they move forward with stafford do they draft a quarterback at seven Uh, Maybe it's Justin Fields for the future. So I think that's going to have a lot to do with it. I love the Arthur Smith hiring with the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, Arthur Smith has resurrected Ryan Tannehill's career. Maybe he can, once again, breathe some life into Matt Ryan. And they certainly have a lot of weapons there on offense. So the Falcons are are pretty lucky to, to get him.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Tannehill and I think Derrick Henry as well have put up ridiculous numbers since since Smith has been there. Well, Lafleur then Smith, but I don't know that the, that Matt Ryan. I mean, it wasn't like he played terribly, you know. So I don't know that quarterback is necessarily their their issue. Although, I mean, obviously they have to start thinking about their future. I don't know how much longer Matt's going to play. The, the, the dude's done a done a tremendous job. He's well thought of around the league obviously was, you know, interviewed very well. And uh, the two Arthurs now, Arthur Blank, really got blown away by him. So, it, again, it's uh, he's in a more of a kind of win-now situation. At least the possibility is there because they've got some pieces there. They've got some great offensive talent. It's just a matter of, okay, which way are they going to go with it? Do they start thinking quarterback? Because with quarterbacks— you know, situations being not so clear in some situations, like Houston and Philadelphia. But then again, maybe in Philadelphia it is clear, and it is Carson Wentz, and that's what the new coach has to has to look at. Uh, Josh McDaniels' name finally has come up in head coaching circles, and it's Philadelphia. I mean, do you do you think Lurie kind of takes takes the dip?
1: I think he will. Unless Josh McDaniel backs out you know, 24 hours later, <laughs> it, it, it is his you job. Can't do, you take. can't
0: do that twice, can you? He's getting this opportunity because of what's happened in the past, but uh, it was very strange to me. I think when we first started talking about coaching, I was like, you know, his name was like, you didn't hear it at all. And now all of a sudden, bang, now he's in there, you know, interviewing with Philadelphia, and this may be the one that he was targeting all along.
1: I wish him well. It it seems to be he is the leading candidate there and uh, he's going to get another. You felt like he was being blacklisted by some teams, but obviously Philadelphia and Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie uh, feel different about Josh McDaniels. It is his job to take unless he backs out. I'm curious what happens with the Texans. I just don't think anybody wants that job. Anybody in their right mind wouldn't want that job. And I get the feeling that they're gonna have to go into the college ranks again. They're gonna have to go into their like tenth candidate who will accept it. I just they dipped into the college ranks before, right? With Bill O'Brien, who left Penn State and, and took that Texans job. I think Houston once again will have to go to the college ranks because of out of desperation because I don't think any well-thought-of assistant is going to take that job. I don't think b enemy, even if they offer it to him, is going to take that job just because he knows that he wasn't the first choice. And uh, it, it's amazing to me. You and I talked about this last week, and we're ending the show with this once again. I'm just amazed that guys like Eric b enemy and Brian Dable are not going to get these jobs. It's a shame that those two guys are still on the market and probably will continue to to be in their respective roles um, with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. Well,
0: Dable's a little bit different situation because this is really the first time his name has come up, right, as a head coaching candidate. Where uh, Coach EB, Eric Enemy, this is like the third year now, it seems like. It seems like even longer, but I hate to retread the, the ground that we've already crossed with this, but there's got to be something to this. Why? You know, I don't know if he's being overly selective. There's only 32 of these, so I don't see that. That's I don't think, is his M.O. There's got to be something about this guy that, that, that people just don't like. I mean, if Andy Reid is endorsing him, Patrick Mahomes is endorsing him, anybody you talk to is would probably endorse him as a, a leader of men, a leader of a franchise. He's not just a running back coach, not just an offensive coordinator he is a true leader and if for you know being a Chiefs fan and being you know one, I'm that guy that watches every press conference and so forth and on Thursdays usually the coordinators get their crack at it he just doesn't lead the offense the defensive players look to him for leadership and he's just an an amazing dude now now again i'm not in those interviews you're not in those interviews who knows what happens but but as far as that particular job in houston that is toxic and if they do, like you say, dip into the college ranks, I would imagine they'd like to get somebody that has some pro experience too. So we had talked about names like Jim Caldwell, Marvin Lewis, people like that that have to come in and just kind of set the ship straight. Casario is, is Casario. I don't know what this Easterby deal is, but I think he's just, how do you piss off? And and how do you just turn the franchise quarterback against you? It's just it's just mind blowing. Uh, we'll give it a few weeks, see what happens with Deshaun Watson. But in order for any of those guys to take that job, they'd have to know what's going on with Deshaun Watson. And Day I think he finally just said, "Hey, Chargers hired Brandon Staley. Hey, I've got a championship game to uh, to coach here. I've got to focus on this." We're going to wait, even though the NFL kind of eased that rule. And I think Biennemi was able to interview virtually with both, I think, Houston and Philadelphia. So I don't know for sure, but that they did ease that rule. So some of these guys, Leslie Frazier, he had an opportunity, defensive coordinator for Buffalo. So we'll see what happens. But somebody with pro experience, but you know maybe from the college ranks, Marvin Lewis did uh, do some work with Coach Herm at, at Arizona State, and Caldwell's just kind of sitting out there, kind of a Tony Dungy disciple, very calm guy. Maybe that's what they need. Let's see. I, it is going to be very interesting over the next couple of weeks. All right, very good, folks. That's going to do it. Hope you enjoy Championship Sunday. It's always a great day, and let's just hope Mahomes plays. with Chiefs win or lose, I just hope 15 gets a chance to play. And as always on the way out, we wish you peace.